Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. And I'm Michelle Lang, a senior lecturer in psychology at Christopher Newport University in Virginia and a clinical psychologist in private practice. All views expressed on this podcast are our own and not our employers. Today is a real internet blast from the past episode. We talked to a couple that met on Friendster, Dr. Aislinn Black and Professor James Grimmelman. We are excited to have as our guest today a couple that met before Tinder or even Facebook existed. Indeed, they met on a very old school social network, Friendster. Dr. Aislinn Black is a clinical assistant professor in emergency medicine at the Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. She has a BA from Carleton College, a DO from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey, and an MPH from the George Washington University School of Public Health and Health Services. She did a residency in emergency medicine at Stony Brook Medicine. I am super impressed. Professor James Grimmelman is equally impressive, but in a different area. He's someone I've known for 20 years because he was a year ahead of me in law school. He is the Tesla Family Professor of Digital and Information Law at Cornell Law School, where he specializes in the intersection of law and technology and in intellectual property, areas in which he is broadly published. He has an AB from Harvard College and JD from Yale Law School, and in addition to his scholarly works, he has also often written and commented for the popular press. Aislinn and James are married, have two children, and live in the New York City area. Aislinn and James, welcome. I'm going to ask the obvious question first. Tell us how you first met. And can I jump in there real quick? In doing that, can you explain Friendster a bit? Because I guess the couple years of difference in age between us actually make a difference here. I'm not familiar with Friendster, and I'm curious, like, were there, was it one of multiple social media-ish kind of places you could have met at the time? If you could give some background on Friendster, that would be helpful. Yeah, so Friendster is pre-Facebook, and I don't remember, it felt like the first social network where you could have a profile page and add your friends. And its big gimmick was that you could see your friends' friends and your friends' friends' friends. So it would tell you exactly how many degrees of connection you were to anybody. And I don't know, this was very popular like in 2002, 2003 or so. So how did you all find each other on there? How many degrees apart were you? Uh, so that, that's where the story gets a little bit interesting. So I was encouraged to make a profile by friends that I'd been in college with. I was now a little bit out of college, working a lab job, thinking about applying to medical school eventually. And so I made my profile and then I was searching for other interesting people on there. I tried searching by different authors and different musicians, different other interests that I had and kept getting too many hits to really bother reading all of the profiles. Finally, I narrowed it down to someone that would give me a narrower a set of responses. So I tried Soren Kierkegaard and I got exactly five profiles that mentioned the uh, Danish philosopher. So I was able to read each of those profiles. Um, one of them was a guy named James who seemed pretty interesting, but 
unfortunately, he was located in New Haven at the time, which did not seem very convenient to me. Uh, I was currently living in New Jersey, working in Brooklyn, adding New Haven to the mix seemed insurmountable at the time. So I thought of my good uh, friend from college who was in divinity school at Yale at the time. And they had a little option where you could click on two people and suggest a match between them. And that's what I did. So from my end, like I am, like I joined Friendster maybe a year before, and I thought it was pretty entertaining, but you know, not thinking of this as a dating site at all. Uh, so I'd made myself a profile and added my friends. And I, you know, the Friendster had sections where you could fill out your favorite books and movies and TV shows and music. Uh, and so I think I had done books and music. And then decided that, well, I don't really watch enough TV. So I used that part of the profile to add more books. So this might have been why I managed to have Kierkegaard in my profile at all. Yeah, I think I think all of the categories were pretty much filled with authors, except maybe maybe you did have some musicians in there. But yeah, I think favorite TV shows, favorite movies, favorite foods. I think you just use them all to to list authors. So yeah, that, that did give Which you is great more because that really tells you a lot about a person off the bat. They like books. <laughs> yes, yes, that definitely came across in the profile. <laughs> so anyway, I have this uh, Friendster profile, and like I'm. I feel like I'm minding my own business, and then I get this message from Friendster that Aislinn suggested a match between you and Emily. And it's funny, I don't know who Aislinn is, I don't know who Emily is, so this is kind of baffling to me. That was pretty bold, Aislinn. I mean, you're just like <laughs> grabbing this guy off the internet for your friends, like throwing them together, you know? Uh, but yeah, it, it was a different really time. I don't know. Yeah, it was a different time on the internet. I think we had, you know, less bad associations with the internet. Um, you know, dating apps really did not exist yet. I think maybe some of the dating services were starting to exist, like JDate and eHarmony and those sorts of things where you like would put in a huge profile and match with people, but that never seemed like something that I wanted to put that much effort into doing. So I'd never tried any of those i think those were kind of coming into coming into fashion at the time and i know people who met people through those around that same time yeah so yeah James i don't know i guess the low effort the low effort version here <laughs> <laughs> initially yeah in terms of just trying to set him up with with my friend so yeah so he he got this baffling message and that what did what did you do about that james so then i initially tried to figure out like how did I know either of you? And I met you and forgotten both of you. And I think I could piece together that I had like second or third degree connections to both of them. Uh, so like I knew somebody who had gone, I went, I went to college with somebody who went to high school, who went to college with Aislinn. And because Emily and I were both at Yale and graduate school, I think we had overlapping friends there. So I, I couldn't, I didn't know what the backstory on this was. I just figured like, this is kind of random. And then also like looking over their profiles, like I was trying to figure out this, was there something going on here? Like uh, Emily seemed like perfectly nice, but also somebody that I probably had nothing really in common with. Like uh, this like, uh, this 
Aislinn, uh, who had a photograph which had been edited to be black and green, seemed like very interesting, but she was in New Jersey and like clearly she was like playing the matchmaker here, so I couldn't do anything about that. So where did the momentum come in? How did we go beyond this? Did you like accept the the link? What happened next? So I was like, I thought I'd like, you know, be very diplomatic about this. It's like, I mean, I then, you know, messaged Emily and said, like, I don't know what's going on here. You're like, you seem like a perfectly nice person, but like, I'm not behind this. Like, do you know what's going on? Can you tell me? So, so did Emily know? What did Emily know at that point? What did she say? I think she had sent me some horrified messages by this point, too, like, what are you doing? Like, I think she vaguely knew James because one of her div school friends had dated someone that he vaguely knew in law school. And I think, unfortunately, they had had a not so great uh, breakup. So I don't think that, yeah, he and his law school group of friends were necessarily on her radar in a, a good way at that point. So she clearly was not really interested. And so I guess... I think she encouraged me to just, you know, go ahead and message James myself. So we kind of started talking within, as as things progressed in those days, I think we started talking through the app first and, or the website, I guess, and Friendster. And then we started sending emails. We sent lots of long emails. And then we started doing a AOL instant messenger. And eventually we after, I guess, a few months of this and decided to actually try to meet up. Yeah, I mean, I can still remember the AOL instant messenger new message sound. And in particular, like I now associate it so much with somebody I'm somewhat maybe interested in sending me a message. So like I have like these very like conditioned like positive responses to it. That's so sweet. It makes me think like, like thinking in today's terms about some of the technology you're using, like trying to find analogies for it, you know, it sounds like, like the first, second, third degrees of separation reminds me of LinkedIn, like how you, that's your way of knowing who somebody is in relation to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what else was I thinking? Oh, about like sliding into DMs like on Twitter. <laughs> that's like kind of a variation of what you did. Now I was late to the game on Twitter and I, I hate unnecessary sounds. So I usually keep things muted. I don't even know if Twitter makes a noise. Like it's probably optional of like you get DMs and I would have that option turned off. But I can appreciate that idea of definitely back in the AOL days, you'd get noises, you'd get little notifications. It's very sweet. You have that that association. But so we've got a combination of like LinkedIn and Twitter. But as you said, Aislinn, before the days when we knew to be suspicious of <laughs> random strangers reaching out. <laughs> So did you like um, meet on neutral ground, like New York City or something? Or how did you manage the the Connecticut, New Jersey, long distance, you know, aspect? So we started off by meeting up in New York because I'm from New York. So I come back, you know, fairly regularly from law school. And so we arranged to meet up at a restaurant near where Aislinn was working and, you know, had dinner and... It was it was nice, but I I think Aislinn, like you 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 can tell the story best I think because it didn't click on the first date. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
you know, there were no, there were no red flags. Certainly I wasn't, you know, James did not appear to be, you know, a serial killer or, yeah, you know, any of the other things we, you know, maybe we're told even then we should be, you know, looking for online or being afraid of online. Um, I think I did make him get into my car because I was the one who had the car with me. You know, I was not going to get into his car. I think you didn't even have a car with you. I think you probably took the train. So I think we were saying I took the subway. Yeah. I took the subway. Yeah. But yeah, no, I have say, yeah, things did not really click on the, the first date, but I think for whatever reason, you know, things had been going so well in the digital communication that I decided to give James a, a second chance and, you know, go for a second date and things just clicked a lot better that time. Yeah, we went to, met up in lower Manhattan and we went to you know, just walk around Little Italy and walked into a random restaurant. And I think the waiter there assumed we were already dating or may have like, you know, made innuendo like that. Uh, and like, yeah, we had a nice, very nice dinner, walked around some more and wound up at a champagne bar called the Bubble Lounge that no longer exists. And like, at that point, it was, there was real chemistry. And we're like, okay, this is, this is going to happen. Like, I think Aislinn made the first move and like, you know, touched my hair. Uh, <laughs> and like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. The, and we were, we were both in turn at that point. Man, I'm impressed, Aislinn, by your boldness throughout <laughs> all of this. You know, I think it really, if we're thinking about, which I have a question for you related to this too, um, but if we are thinking about how might this translate to today's terms, so for our listeners who are thinking, all right, what's my takeaway from this story? Is it, you know, just a retrospective on how things were at a certain point in time, or are there any lessons that apply still today? Man, okay, so Aizen, we have boldness on your end, reaching out to somebody who you don't know, um, <laughs> presumably to maybe help them <laughs> match up with somebody else, or, or at least to make the connection that way. But then you also are the one who decides, okay, the first date wasn't that great, but I'm interested enough. <laughs> I still like that Kierkegaard. I still like that he was one of the first, <laughs> one of the five people that showed up under that. I'm gonna give this guy a second chance. So you made the decision, initiating like a second date and you made the decision of, I'm gonna let him know I'm into him. So I think one takeaway is, at least in you guys' case, it doesn't hurt to be bold, to let your intentions be known. I wonder how much you guys think that the way that you all met was like a relic in at that period of time, or do you think that your story is one that could happen today? And under what conditions do you think, what are the similarities or differences that you think, that you think exist? Uh, I think a lot of our initial connection really was at least nourished and developed through fairly long emails and fairly long sessions on AOL Instant Messenger. And certainly with Instant Messenger, you, know, you had plenty of other instant messages going on kind of at the same time in the background and some of the dangers of texting today where you, know, you have to make sure you're responding in the correct box and you're not you know, accidentally telling your boss you love them or, you know, sending something racy to your parents or you know, any of those sort of mishaps could have you know, happened then and, and happened now. But I think the, the long form text is something that 
I know I don't really do as much anymore as I did then and is maybe a loss in terms of like really getting to know someone online before you meet them in real life. Yeah, and that I think definitely played to my comfort in like, starting a relationship that just being able to write uh, and made it really, that was definitely something I was more comfortable with than making initial approaches in person. And also, I think this gave us a chance to hang out and enjoy, like, hang out with each other in a low-intensity way. Something that made me feel like I could be myself, and that made me very comfortable. So I think that helped bring us together. And we've, we've lost a bit of that in the internet today, because it gets so much short messaging. You know, it's very interesting thinking about that aspect because we, we've had another couple on the show that met through a um, Facebook interest group. And they, they mentioned this aspect also about the low pressure way. And, and we got to talking about how for a lot of people, including people who might have social anxiety or might be neurodivergent or might be introverts, like oh, just uh, all sorts of people, th- this is a more comfortable medium. But then I'm thinking about how if you look at dating apps today and you look at Instagram today, you have to kind of put your marketing foot first, right? So, so it's, it's actually maybe taking away from that, from that comfort, right? So a lot of, um, I mean, today, of course, we have diversification in social media, so you can still find like our Facebook couple, right? You can find places that are more, um, kind of, people join around like nerdy interests or or something else. And so maybe it's a little bit more like the old days. And then there are a bunch of other platforms and maybe the majority that are not like that anymore. So, so I think that's, that's sort of an interesting point. Did you have friends that were weirded out about the way you met either when you were like getting ready to meet in person or at any time after that? Uh, I think my parents were definitely a little weirded out. Um, I remember my dad telling me that he, you know, did his best, you know, early 2000s job of trying to search up James on the internet and make sure that, you know, there weren't any stories about him. As I think my dad said, you know, killing a family in Nebraska or something, you know, that uh, he was not, not sharing with me. And I think he, you know, passed that test. But no, I think my friends were more just like, yeah, that is how you would meet somebody pretty much. So. I mean, most of my friend group in law school was on Friendster because like, that was like what we were doing that time. We were leaving each other messages and, you know, giving each other like, you know, I forget what kind of praise you could give to somebody on Friendster. You could do like tributes or something like talking about how mm-hmm. awesome your friends were. Like, you know, we were all doing this for each other. So yeah, it seemed kind of natural that somebody else who is also in on Friendster would be, you know, probably okay so then after that like where did things go next so you started dating and then i mean i assume there's a bit of a the story between that and when you eventually got married so how did things develop how did you end up living in the same place eventually like what what happened i guess i was the one who was a little bit more flexible at that point because i was kind of between college and medical school i was working a lab job. So I had kind of nine to five-ish hours. I think I was at various points taking classes and things also, but still had a little bit more 
free time and a little bit more flexibility than James did as a law student. So I think it kind of fell on me to do a little bit more of the traveling up to New Haven, whether that was you know, making the drive sometimes, or sometimes I would take the train into work and then you know, take the subway out of Brooklyn back into the city and take the Metro North up to New Haven. So kind of got into a rhythm of doing that you know, fairly frequently. And James would come down sometimes, especially if like there was a law school break or something like that. And, and I definitely got to know James's law school friends and get involved in some of his uh, law school interests or Yale interests, such as the uh, Tango Club, which you might want to talk about, James. Yeah, that was, the, the Yale has a really nice tango club. It was, uh, was classes through the gym and a club that would meet every week. And there was a monthly dance uh, hosted in the New Haven area. And like I met Aislinn and didn't met, meet Aislinn to it, but she came along to that uh, when she was in town. And like I met a number of other people who are you know friends to this day through that. And so it was a really nice, like, classic old, like, this is just a social group activity that people do and hang out. It was a really nice sort of warm, supportive community. There are a lot of students, uh, mostly primarily grad students, uh, some a nice group from the community, and even a couple of faculty. And so you know, we would do that, met each other's families when we were both home in New Jersey at times. Her dad uh, gave me the kill all the lawyers mug the first time I came over and had tea there. <laughs> uh, I guess. The, dad sounds like a character. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm the oldest of four girls. So my dad's general rule was that he was never going to get too attached to anyone that any of us were dating until we were engaged because it just was easier that way because like there's kind of, as you might imagine with four of us, there's kind of just an endless stream of new male faces showing up and leaving. So he well, was just kind actually, of like, yeah, on that point, I have a question for you guys as well, because I think, I think it is like at least less so today, but I still, I, I still wonder if some of this idea persists today, but I would think it would be much more common at the time you guys met is if you do meet somebody from like that you're dating from online, I think a lot of people tended, and maybe even still today to some extent, tend to be like that, we're going to take that as less serious than somebody who you met like in real life or through friends or in some natural setting. Um, that that's like, a, okay, this is a fun little novelty you're you're experiencing for a while but this is not like a serious relationship did you all consider the possibility for a serious relationship not that you knew that that's where you wanted to go but consider that that was a possibility from the beginning or was it only ever a okay well this is kind of fun let's let's see where this would go and like with your friends and family did you get people who who felt like, okay, but you met this person online based on something on a profile. We don't see you ending up with them. Did it take a while for either either of you or your loved ones to take this relationship seriously? Well, like I 
said, I think my my family tended to be, we're not going to take any of your relationship seriously until you give us strong indication that we should, such as like, you're actually engaged to this person <laughs> pretty much. Um, and friends, I think, um, I don't know, I guess James did get to, I mean, I got to meet a lot of his friends in New Haven pretty early on. And a lot of my friends were still kind of living in the New York area. Yeah, I did have my friend Emily, who was you know, a divinity student at Yale. So, you know, James and Emily did get to meet fairly early on, too, I think, and, and maybe confirm that, you know, they were not meant to be dating. So, yeah, it's good. But <laughs> I got well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it was the time when a lot of people were starting to meet more so than in the past through online means of some sort um, usually more of the like you filled out a massive questionnaire and they matched you with some people kind of things I think so yeah, I definitely did know other people who were dating by, by those ways and who eventually wound up meeting people seriously through those sorts of ways at that time yeah I guess I was in my early 20s too so I was sort of feeling like well I don't have any particular expectations about how I'm going to first meet people. Like it's more or less like, well, this is going well. Like I'm not going to, you know, rest all my expectations about my future life on this, but this is going great. Let's, you know, see how far the see how this goes. And I think I don't think I don't think that would have been any different for somebody that I met in person. Yeah, I guess that's a great point too about like a like the time in the world that it was and be the time in your lives that it was, you know, I, I was thinking of a story of my own where I met a, one of my exes. Um, it would have been, I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, seven or years ago, I think at this point, but we met online and he, and we would have never met in real life. Otherwise it was not quite the distance you guys were dealing with, but it was like an hour, hour and a half distance. And there was an age difference as well, but we, we matched on the apps we met in real life and we hit it off. And so we were dating. But I remember even like some comments like people in my life made like when he took me. So he was farther along in his he was older and farther along in his career than me, more established. And he took me to like a big event it was like a, essentially like a company retreat kind of thing. And one of my friends was surprised that I was going on this. They were like, oh, like that sounds like something you do with somebody who you were serious with, not like your online boyfriend from, you know, who is somebody you would have never met in real life. But I was much more open to the idea of just because we never met and would have never met in, in life outside of the internet doesn't mean we can't have a real connection. But I definitely got some, I think both of us did, our friends were surprised that we were taking this as a serious thing rather than um, oh, this is just something fun to try. And maybe that's because we met at a later point in life. We met when I was in my 30s. So anyway, it's just interesting to to hear even how it was then. Um, but to think too about how age, the age that you're each respectively at could play a role and how serious your friends are going to take this sort of thing as well. Really neat to think so, about. I, I want to hear, okay, how long did it take from that first meeting to like deciding to get married what I feel like there's probably some interesting proposal story somewhere here. So, so I, I want to hear about that if you're willing to share. Uh, so I think I kind of came to the decision that this was 
serious and I was serious about it maybe a little bit earlier than James did. I'm not surprised about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, taking, making quick decisions and taking decisive action on that is something that I've had to do professionally. And maybe that was a pre-existing trait. So, you know, that's, that's worked well. Um, I know, for example, um, we did, I guess, what, what summer was it, James, that you were in San Francisco? So that would have been in the summer of 2004. I was out in San Francisco working at an internship there. Uh, and I had you know scheduled a week off uh, during it. And so we planned that ASM was going to come out and visit me in San Francisco there. Uh, so she came out and then we wound up taking a somewhat unplanned uh, several day road trip uh, during the visit. Yeah, essentially right before I came out there, um, I learned that one of my good friends from college had been hospitalized. So this was up in Eugene, Oregon, and I wanted to go visit this person since it just so happened that I was going to be out on the West Coast already. And James, to his credit, was like, sure, I'll go on a super long road trip with you to see your male friend from college um, in your little rental car that is barely making it up these mountain roads. Um, So I think it was, what, about like a 12-hour drive the first day? Maybe more than that? 16-hour drive? It was a long drive. 12-hour drive (laughs) up from San Francisco to Eugene. And we're we're going up Mount Shasta. (laughs) And like in this tinky little car, like... It was a a neon or something. It was like a tiny, tiny little kind of crappy car that was, you know, the cheapest car that I could rent being, you know, newly 25 and able to rent a car pretty much at that point in life. So had this, you know, tiny little car that we were taking turns driving and, you know, got there and I think did then decide to spend the night and take a little bit longer coming back. But um, I think at, at some point during that trip, I had pretty much decided that like, okay, this, this guy's a keeper. So it, it took James too, a little James, bit longer. To be like, okay, sign me up for all that alone time <laughs> together where we're really just figuring each other out and don't have other options. So man, way to like, just dive in and figure out where this is going to go. Yeah. I mean, I in another blast help. from the past, we, we, we stopped at a, before we started on the road trip, we stopped at a music store and bought some used CDs to uh, take along with us on the trip. So we had about maybe five CDs that we bought that we were cycling through on this whole trip because that was what you did. You didn't have you know, any other way to listen to music in a car other than cassettes, I guess, maybe. But yeah. Yeah. I Did you still remember what, what albums we had with us the trip? Well, I mean, the, the really memorable one is that we had... Uh two Mountain Goats albums. And we listened to those a couple of times each, like probably in each direction in the car. And at this point, like we've now probably been to a dozen Mountain Goats concerts over the years. Every time they have a tour, we try to go. And like, you know, this is a, you know, a foundation of our shared musical tastes. And I just found those things in a used store right before we started driving up. That's a nice nostalgia moment too. You know, I was definitely thinking how 
anytime I had to take road trips in the aughts or thereabouts, like you have certain music you associated with with it. Like I could tell you exactly like the Evanescence CD came out um, the year that I was applying to grad school and going on those interviews because I listened to it constantly on those interviews. And so, you know, it's kind of a neat thing that... Um, that also is kind of a mark in time, but like you said, is nice for your relationship because now it's something you can go to certain kind of concerts and, and relive those feelings, reactivate those brain pathways. That's really lovely. So who proposed? So the actual proposal happened. Uh, we took a trip to Europe, uh, after my law school graduation and the summer before Aislinn started in medical school. Uh, so we went on a trip to like the small countries of Northern Europe, We went to Denmark, Netherlands, and Belgium. Uh, so we, you know, flew over and took trains around and had a really lovely time. And on our last day there, we'd been in Brussels and we'd scheduled to go to Bruges, uh, you know, to see another small, beautiful Northern European city. And we were like, we we're just kind of tired. So it was like, no, we're not going to take a trip out. We're just going to hang out in the city. And like, we have a list of like, you know, very typically Belgian things we need to do, like beer and fries. So like we were sort of checking off the fries and sitting in this like, you know, fry shop. And we see some people walking by outside in what look like medieval costumes. Uh, and like, we see some more and like, you know, these you know, youngish people but they're wearing the like tunics and pants and the color coordinate. Like, what is going on here? So we see some more of them and we follow them. They're walking back towards the main square where there had been like bleachers being set up and the place is closed off for people sitting in there. And there are more and more people in fancy dress sort of streaming in. So we you know get a spot by the side to watch and wait. And for, I don't know, the next couple of hours, there's this giant parade of people in medieval costumes. And there are jugglers, there are people on stilts, there are giant rolling floats of, like, saints' heads. Uh, They release some doves. It is, like, this weird parade. It's essentially completely incomprehensible to us. And this is pre-ubiquitous internet, so we couldn't even look it up and figure out what was going on. It's just like some kind of crazy festival taking place. Uh, so. I think we maybe pieced it together from the guidebooks, because I think we had thought it was something that happened at a different time, but it was happening at a slightly different date that you know, again, we didn't necessarily know coming in and didn't speak either of the languages of Belgium, so... This was, again, all pretty incomprehensible. It was either French or Flemish uh, in any explanation that they might have been giving of this. But they said this is the Omegang Festival, which has been going on for hundreds of years. And as many of these things do, I think commemorates them bringing a statue of Mary from one place to another, as far as I recall, in, in Belgium. Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. So we watched this parade and the like big flag twirling other things in the main square. And it's waning kind of on and off through the whole afternoon and evening. And so by the time this thing finally breaks up, uh, it is pouring 
And there are like people in medieval costumes like scurrying home to get out of the rain. So we're doing the same, going down this cobblestone street in the heart of old Belgium on our way back to Hartel on the last night of our trip. And as we're dashing along, I turn to Aislinn and I say, I'm never going to be able to top this moment. Will you marry me? Wow. That's amazing. I had a feeling there was some sort of great story here. I just, you know, and I had never heard this before. Okay. But I just, uh, just watching you guys, that is really special. That sounds really cool. So James, you, did you think you would be proposing on this trip? Did you have an idea or did it just kind of hit you in the moment? So I thought that I might pose on the trip. It seemed like a, a good occasion. Uh, we actually went to visit the Kierkegaard Garden at Aww. the Danish National Library, and I thought that I might do it there, but Aislinn wasn't feeling great at the time. And I'm like, oh, no, like, I don't, don't want to do this when Aislinn's not really going to feel it. Uh, so I sort of shelved that plan, and I hadn't sort of found any other good moments. I was sort of assuming, okay, it won't happen on this trip. I'll have to look for some other occasion. And then the Omegang intervened. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely had, you know, friends and family, I think more than me even, who were like, oh, do you think James is going to propose on this trip? And I was like, oh, I don't know. That seems like too cliche. I don't think he's going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but he did it in the least cliche way. He did. He did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so very nice. Well, you guys' story is so lovely. And, you know, we've talked some about, okay, what were the things that were different back then? Like, could this happen today? Things like that. And I also want to ask you about, like, on, in that same vein of thinking, when you hear the stories of friends of yours who are single today or in the dating world today, how do you feel hearing what it's like now? Are you glad that you did not have to deal with some of the nonsense you've heard about? Or um, are there, does it just feel like a potato, potato, it's just, uh, different forms of getting to the same thing. Um, you know, we often meet couples who met prior to what the dating scene looks like now. And we hear like some mixed feelings about that. What is your take? What, as you think about, oh, I'm glad we met the way we did and the time we did. I'm glad I don't have to deal with this nonsense. Or are there parts about it that are interesting to you? In uh, I mean, from what you're saying about how um, everyone has to be much more into kind of their self marketing now. Like that part definitely sounds like I would not enjoy that. Um, I, um, I mean, I watch TikToks with my older daughter who's 10 and you know, it seems very much more of that generation. I can't imagine trying to like make TikToks to try to find people or make videos or have to have, you know, many, many different carefully crafted photos trying to show you know everything perfectly yeah i think my friendster profile had one or two photos and i think james's was about the same maybe so it really was meeting more based on the the text side of things yeah yours and, is black and green yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think for me at least the way we met was a really great like transient period between the old way of meeting people completely offline, which I've always felt an introvert and I've always felt not really at home doing that. And the new always on, always presenting yourself version of dating profiles and 
apps. And like there was this sort of moment of like the internet was just right for shy people like me to date. And that worked out great for us. So James, you're an internet law scholar, like some of the other guests that we've had, such as Marianne Franks and Derek Bambauer. So I do want to ask you two professionally related questions and, and but that will give you the freedom to talk about anything and everything really based on your interests. So for one, how have your personal experiences such as your encounter with Aislinn influenced your professional views, if at all? And then the other thing I wanted to do is just to give you the opportunity, if you want to say a few words about the way you think in broad strokes, regulation of entities like social networks and dating apps specifically should change, if at all. And of course, that's a huge topic. So feel free to pick any kind of sub part of that that you think um, our listeners might, you know, might learn from or enjoy hearing about. I think for me, that ties into a sense of things are always perfect the way they were when you were in your late teens and early 20s. But I have a sense of there was something really magical and personal about the internet for me personally in that time. And I don't think I can separate like how well it worked out for me and the great friendships and the marriage that I made that way. Uh, But I I still think that it's capable of that. I think the places where the magic happens are different today and they're different for other people. But these these are really deeply meaningful things for people. And I would want to see a world in which the internet continues to make things like that possible. Uh, So when I think about regulation of the big platforms, like it's like, are we, do we have a diversity of places where people can find communities and others who are sharing things that they care about? And are we doing enough to keep them safe when they're there and to not accidentally squelch out the possibility to make something weird like a Friendster where people can make profiles and fill them all out with books? Uh, like that's like that. That was sort of unexpected and new. And yeah, I don't think we we met because it was something cool and new that people were playing around with and using in interesting new ways. So it sounds like you think we need to balance that spirit of innovation, right? Uh, and And not sort of, I don't know, suppress future networks out of fear because, I don't know, we don't know what they're going to look like or things like that, but also recognizing that a lot has happened, right? Safety-wise, certainly a lot has happened. I mean, when I when I think now, you know, I was, I was thinking about this a bit while, while you two were talking, when I think now about some of the things I did as a teenager in the 90s related to, like, meeting people from online, Like I would have a heart attack if my, you know, child eventually did that today. Like it's just because it was it was a more innocent, nerdier time. I do think that the the proportion of predators was not necessarily the same as it is today, right? Especially in terms of the people that will approach you. Um, I mean, today, if you got a message like Aislinn, you'd be like, this is some kind of scam. 
like clearly this is <laughs> there's no way this person i don't know like this is bad news right like you wouldn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole but back then it was a completely different situation so so it, there's obviously a lot going on there's there are a lot of conversations going on in in congress james if you could make one change to to the way that these entities are regulated today or maybe you don't want to make any change and that's okay too but if you were to make one change which one would you pick I mean, I think, I don't even know that the regulation of these entities, I would do whatever I could to make it easier to have like local law enforcement coordinate to track down and take action against people who are abusive online. I feel like just a lot of bad behavior people get away with because they're doing blatantly illegal things, but they're in a different place than the victim. And it's just not as easy or possible to take action against them as it would have been back in the days when we were all meeting up primarily in person. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great point. And a lot of the stories that we've encountered have had a, a heavy dose of exactly that problem, right? Where it was like, no, we have the laws, the thing is already illegal, but somehow the cops aren't doing the thing, right? They're not showing up or they're not gathering the evidence or they're not uh, really acting in the way that you would think is, is really common sense um, for, for anyone, whether they have a law background or not. So uh, thank you for, you know, for emphasizing that, you know, just to give you one final opportunity to share your wisdom with the world. You seem like such a wonderful couple and you've, you know, you've been through a lot. You, you've navigated living in different states and moving. I mean, I, I happen to know there have been some moves um, related to your career, right? At one point, James accepted a job in Maryland. And so you, you lived there, from what I understand, and came back to the, to the New York area. So you, you've been, you know, navigating different things and now two busy, high-profile careers with um, two young kids. Do you have any words of advice just to share with couples out there, whether they met online or not, about how you two have managed to make things work for all these years and, and, and clearly still be so fond of each other, which is just so so obvious to anyone um, listening to you and, and watching you? I mean, I would say that one thing that I have really stuck to, and I'm glad I have, is that even when you feel stressed or frustrated, uh, it's really important just to keep on committing and doing the dishes or doing the other like boring household chores and like trying to give positive energy into the relationship. Because, you know, it's like every, every, almost every time that I felt like, oh, Aislinn's just like sitting on the couch. Now, it turns out Aislinn has, in fact, been ordering new school uniforms for the kids or doing something else that needed to get taken care of. And, like, I'm you know, really glad that she didn't, when she got up from there, she didn't also feel like she had to do the dishes. Uh, there's just a lot of, like, constantly be recommitting to a relationship because it turns out, you know, if you're with the right partner, that they're doing that too. And you know, like, feel a sense of, like, yeah. We're in this as a team. We're here to take care of each other. And like I can really count on them. I love that. Aislinn? Yeah, no, I would agree that I think we've 
from beginning really made an effort to have a very egalitarian relationship. Um, we don't necessarily fall into, you know, kind of cliched gender roles of what I'm doing in the relationship versus what James is doing in the relationship. Um, and I think the fact that we'd kind of established those patterns before we had kids and were married for um, a while before we had kids helped us to not fall into the traps that I see a lot of people fall into where as soon as they have children, suddenly the woman becomes the default parent and has to deal with everything having to do with children and then kind of gets off easy and doesn't really do any of those things. And I mean, James really from the, the time the kids were babies was very involved. And I mean, some of that was helped by the fact that law is actually a little bit ahead of medicine in actually giving people parental leave. So he wound up having as much or more time off with the kids early on than I did. So I think that was definitely important. So I, I, I do always encourage uh, heterosexual couples and I know for the, the man to also take paternity leave early on to have that initiation into taking care of the small babies. And I think that really pays a lot of dividends going forward. So I think a lot of when we look at what makes a relationship work is going to be down to the particular couple, even some elements like, okay, if you have kids or if you don't have kids or how do we like to divide up household chores and all of that. But, you know, I think while the stories of how we meet may be characteristic of a certain period of time, what makes a relationship work and the wisdom and lessons learned can certainly transcend fads and a zeitgeist of a particular time. And so we really appreciate hearing your story and hearing some of the lessons learned from you all that others can think about how that might apply to help them perhaps have as happy of an outcome as it seems that the two of you do. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. All our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com. Again, that's strangersoninternet.com. There's no the in there. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, or Mastodon, where we are on the Falsedon server with two S's. We also appreciate support to defray our costs to run the podcast. You can help us out at Swipe Strangers on coffee.com, which is ko-fi.com. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.